as we get ready to wrap up our final session, I, I just want to, in a particular way, encourage us uh, to be expecting not only um, have an awareness of what God has done as we've been here and expect him to continue that work, but really have an expectation of how God is going to continue to use these things and to grow us and to, uh, like by his grace, if he gathers us back again a year from now, we'll see fruit. Uh, to be eager and expecting. I, just one quick report. Last year, our theme was on the Spirit, on the Holy Spirit, uh, including you know, some of the, the gifts of the Spirit. And one of the prayers that was specifically prayed a year ago before we left, um, I know this is something Colleen and I were talking about, and you know, specifically feeling led to pray for was that God would provide uh, 12 to 15 coordinators by this year's Renew. Um, just folks using their administrative gifts, using their gifts to serve our body. And as was announced earlier this morning, we had 21 folks that were serving in different ways, coordinating different areas of our time together. So it's just so like God to go above and beyond even what we think are big things to ask for. So let's not be shy in seeking him and asking him and expecting him to do work among us. In our lives, in the life of our body, um, he delights to do such things. Um, so as we think about this year's theme and drawing near to God and, and ways that you personally may want to be drawing near to God, ask him. Seek him. Expect that he desires to answer those prayers. That's why he's placed those things on your heart. Those, those things didn't just originate with you or originate with a theme that we've come up with. That's something from God's heart. And he wants us to ask because he wants us to receive. So let's be eager to see him uh, meet us in different ways and grow in our intimacy with him and that a year from now, we might be able to recount some of the ways that we've seen him specifically answer those prayers. Well, the theme of this weekend has been drawing near to God. You can open your Bibles to Psalm 19. The reality is that we can only draw near to God as he makes himself known to us. One of the first things we learn about God in Genesis chapter 1 is that he is a speaking God. He communicates. By the time we get to the third verse of the first chapter of the Bible, he is separating light and darkness and speaking creation into existence. By the end of chapter 1, he has addressed mankind directly. Revealing who he is, who we are, and how we are to relate with him in his world. He speaks because he wants us to know him. He reveals himself so that we can draw near. And one of the things I find fascinating is that in God's word, 
God isn't seen as limiting his communication and his revelation of himself just to his own audible voice. Just think of some of the other ways in Scripture that we see that God reveals himself and makes himself known. With Adam and Eve, with Cain, with Noah, with Abraham, we don't know exactly. It's not made totally explicit. But many times it's clear that he came down. He talked with these individuals face to face. He physically was present to meet with individuals. He also sent angels as messengers. He spoke through his prophets. He spoke through dreams. He spoke to Moses from a burning bush and to Balaam through his donkey. He has used stone tablets and he has used pagan kings. When Jesus responded to the religious leader's request to quiet the crowd during his triumphal entry, Jesus declared that if the people were to be quiet, the very stones would cry out. The reality is God has determined that his voice will be heard. His message will get out. God delights to make himself known. And he's not limited in his ability to communicate. He's also not limited in the methods he has available by which he can speak. From stones to donkeys to angels to audible voices from the heavens. Psalm 19 is concerned with God's most common means of speaking and making himself known to us. So would you read with me, beginning in verse 1. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. And night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the earth. In them he has sent, set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much 
fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. main idea I think we see in this passage is that God gives us the opportunity to draw near to him because he makes himself known. He makes himself known according to the three sections of this chapter through the world around us, through the word before us, and through his work within us. In this chapter, David wants to draw our attention to things we often ignore. God is always speaking. That's something that David reveals here. God is always speaking to those that have ears to listen. The first section we're going to look at, first six verses, is that God makes himself known through the world around us. Just over a week ago, our family returned from a trip to Alaska. And I can report that it was amazing. It was wonderful in the full sense of that word. We were full of wonder throughout our time there. It's also mostly paid for by a family member, which also made me rejoice <laughs> and celebrate. I absolutely do not have words to communicate the grandeur and beauty that was on display all around us, seemingly everywhere our eyes turned. I think we covered something like a thousand miles between ship and train and bus. And it just seemed like a thousand miles of wow. Which inspired from us thousands, literally, of pictures taken. That we're just beginning to sort through. And none of them can begin to capture the experience of being there what we were able to take in. I felt like God was saying, look over here. Now look over here. You thought that was amazing. Wait to get a load of this. Again and again, an occurrence, taking pictures, because this is just so amazing what's in front of me that I, I want to capture this in some way. Pulling the camera down and then going, oh, over here. And just trying to capture some of these things for our own memory. 
of all that we were having the privilege to see. A line from my favorite songwriter was on perpetual replay during our time. There's, there's so much beauty around us for just two eyes to see. It's hard to take it all in. Actually, we couldn't take it all in. Um, there was no end, it seemed, to all that we were able to see and experience. Now, being in a different place helped so many unfamiliar sights and experiences stood out. But here, David wants us to see with renewed eyes there is wonder and glory to take in every day. God makes himself known through the world around us. He communicates through what he has made. And sometimes it's with a still, small voice. And sometimes it's with shouts that are meant to stop us in our tracks. The book of Job spends several chapters detailing ways creation points to, gives glory to its marvelous creation, creator. The Psalms in various places and various songs of just different elements and aspects of creation that the psalmist is captured by that cause him to wonder. In Psalm 19, David is focusing on just one little piece of creation, just on the sky, and for the most part, just on the sun. But listen again to the language of communication in these verses. David's trying to make it clear that there is speaking going on. There are messages that are meant to be received from what we observe around us. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Whether it's the sunset, the stars, the clouds rolling in and out. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. He's saying, hey, it's there. It's visible. Voice is going on and on. Their voice goes out through all the earth. Their words to the end of the world again and again we see this communicating language that we're to understand there are messages being transmitted these aren't just inanimate objects these were created for a purpose to declare the glories of God the heavens declare the sky proclaims day pours out speech night reveals knowledge their voice goes through all the earth their words to the end of the world literally every day gushes out speech like a fire hydrant where one day leaves off the next picks up where the day ends the night takes over day and night the proclamation of God's glory has been unceasing since the beginning of time, since God said, let there be, they have pointed back to him 
and declared his glories. The maker of heaven and earth was not limited by materials or by the palette that he could choose from or the design when he spoke the universe into being. I mean, let's be really clear. Anyone that can speak a universe into being isn't limited. He could choose to do this however he wanted to. And if we even consider for a moment our ability to take it in, well, he decided how that would happen too. So if you're aware of different animal life and things like that, different eyeballs, different ways of seeing, those that don't see color, those that see more colors than we do, those that uh, see through infrared or heat. There's lots of different ways that God could have made us to take in all around us. He wasn't limited in those things. He was purposeful in the way that he made this world and the way that he made you and me. And David tells us that God specifically created this universe in such a way that it would display and declare his glory. We should be impressed when we see the power and majesty of the maker in the universe that he has made. Glory is a word that that has the sense of being weighty or important impressive God has revealed aspects of his impressiveness through his creation that's something he's done with a purpose and it's a declaration a communication that goes out to all the earth language and culture are not a barrier distance is not a barrier this part of the world Asia Africa Antarctica All these places, God has given his creation to bring him glory. The voice of the heavens reaches the farthest corner of the globe, David declares here. And he uses the sun as just one example. Certainly there's no shortage of examples that he could have highlighted. But with the sun, he, he details how... It emerges with the excitement of a bridegroom each morning. Runs its course with joy each day. It radiates light and energy with such power that that we can't look directly at it. I mean, such is the power of what God has made. Though it be, what, 93 million miles away? Still, we need to shield our eyes, shield our skin from its power and effect. It lights our world day by day. It provides heat to our little planet for millions and millions of miles away. As we were in Alaska and experienced a little bit of the midnight sun, um, literally still being light at 1 a.m., Uh, which can be a little disconcerting, good word. Uh, It's a little different, something to get used to. 
I mean, we were struck going to Alaska, this place you think of being covered in ice and snow almost eight months of the year. And there were the most wonderful flowers and vegetables and things that were growing because they get so much sun during this time of the year. Still, God gives life through these things and, and the wonder of what he has made, the differences that exist all over this globe just with the sun and our experience of it, the difference that is from the tropics and the islands that you want to visit and all these things and some of the wonder in which God has made them, how this ball of gas millions of miles away uh, produces energy for us both energy to power our devices and our conveniences as well as to grow our crops, fuel our lives. And David says it, it day by day is doing its job with joy. But friends, the sun isn't just shining. It's shouting the glory of the creator. Now, I'll be the first to admit that that perspective of the sun, well, it's often not my, well, I'd say it's rarely my, viewpoint and perspective of what it is doing, particularly when we get to the summer part of the year in South Carolina. My thought is more, it's really hot, and it's particularly muggy, and my attitude towards the sun is usually much more one of grumbling or complaint this time of year than taking in God's glory. It's not a worshipful experience, at least not worshiping God in that time. Worshiping my own comforts, perhaps. But David calls me to look up. To look up and marvel at the glory God because every day is filled with additional declarations of God's glory and greatness if you are a believer God has surrounded you with a hymn book wherever you are day or night you can look up and see the majesty and power of God now, I'll be just as clear if you are an not a believer, you are still responsible for what the skies above have been telling you since the day you were born. You ought to worship God. That's what they're trying to let you know. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 1, verse 20, that God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. No one on the final day can say to God, well, how was I supposed to know you were great, or glorious, that you were amazing? Friends, the sun and the moon are not neutral. The stars are not passive observers of our world. They are messengers. And they are not whispering. 
If we don't heed their message, they will one day testify against us. So David is seeking to tune our ears to their true frequency. To remove the static for us. Because they are choir masters calling us to worship. Look at the God who has created all of this. See and be amazed. Marvel at his power and might, his creativity, the beauty and wonder in which he has made this world. Saying, I don't hear creation telling me about God doesn't get you off the hook. If someone shouts at you from five feet away and you don't respond, well, you're either deaf or you're ignoring them. Scripture declares that the heavens declare the glory of God. And if you don't see God's glory in the universe he has made, you need the courage to honestly ask, could it be that I'm deaf? Or that I am ignoring God and turning my back on him? See, the message of the heavens is not ambiguous. God is great and glorious. We need the voice of creation reminding us of the creator's power and glory day by day, night by night. Friends, it gives us the opportunity to draw near to God because he has made himself known through the world around us. But that's the on, not, on, not the only way he has made himself known. God makes himself known through the word before us. As eloquently as the sky declares God's glory, the reality is we cannot know God truly without the clarity of the scriptures, without his special revelation. We can see the power of God by looking at the universe he has created, but we can only know him personally through his written word. We need the scriptures to know the particulars of what he is like and how we are to relate with him. We don't learn the way of salvation from the night sky or the nightingale. There is no saving knowledge, no mercy, no revelation of grace apart from God's revealed word. We need the knowledge he has given to us through his holy word. Nature is a powerful witness, but it has a very limited area of expertise. We need more than creation's voice. Last night we, we highlighted some of the work that Imani has done, the artwork for Renew Kids. Uh, reveal some of her impressive skills as an artist. They do. We see something of what she is capable of. And personally, it makes me marvel because I can't do those things. But you could study an artist's artwork a long time and never know the artist themselves. You 
wouldn't know what their favorite food is or their music, what their dreams are, what kind of character they have. You don't know how they relate with their family. To know those things, you need to talk to the person themselves. You need a different kind of revelation. In verses 7 through 11, David wants us to be clued in that God has supernaturally revealed himself to us through his word. He lets us know that there's a big difference between what we see of God in nature and what we learn of God and experience of God through his word. In the first six verses, God is actually only named one time. And it's a very general term for God. It's just the Hebrew word El. Um, It's basically the most generic word that there is for the name of God. But in these next three verses, just verses 7, 8, and 9, God names, or David names God six times as the Lord. Or we talked about this a month ago um, when I talked from Psalm 21. The Lord, when it's written here in all caps like this, this is actually a designation from the writers that is using the word for Yahweh. The covenant name for God is a very specific name for God revealed by uh, God to Moses at the burning bush as the great I am, the one who had come to redeem and deliver his people. And so this was a very special term used by Israel throughout their history that they revered so much they wouldn't even write it fully because they wanted to have such reverence even for the name of God itself. And six times David uh, uses this name in just these three verses as he's talking about his word. This God who has come to redeem and deliver. David makes it clear that while the heavens teach us there is a glorious creator, the scriptures introduce us to God as savior and redeemer. Now there there are five synonyms for scripture that David gives here. There's the law, the testimony, the precepts, commandments, rules. As he goes down these verses, um, these are the same terms that show up again a hundred psalms later in Psalm 119 where David gives a much more lengthy account of his delight in God's word. He actually lists them in uh, the same order as he does here. But for how he's using them here, he's not trying to delineate between them as much as he is trying to just use repetition and compounding these different uh, ideas or names for Scripture itself to highlight the comprehensive nature of God's Word. And what we see by this compounding repetition is the perfection of God's Word. We see very similar terms after each little bit that he gives here. And then he also highlights uh, the benefit of God's word to those that submit themselves to it. So verse 7 says, the law of the Lord is perfect. He's highlighting its character, but he doesn't stop there. He says, reviving the soul, highlighting its benefit. It gives life. 
revives the soul. This, this phrase, reviving the soul, is, is one that is also used for food that restores strength and vitality. It's the type of reviving that's talked about here. David is given the idea that the law of the Lord, his word, is our spiritual food. Of course, Jesus would further reveal the reality of this during his own ministry. For example, when he was tempted in the wilderness, he quoted the scriptures. He showed how he was feeding on it as he responded to the temptations that came his way. With responses such as, man shall not live. By bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The scriptures were what sustained him and gave him strength. And the, the scriptures, David is saying, are, are to be food for us as well. The heavens can point us to God's grandeur, but God's word is our life. The testimony of the Lord is sure. He highlights its character, its perfection making wise the simple, and again, reminding us of benefits that we receive. The precepts of the Lord are right, his character. And again, we see these different descriptions of what God's word is like. It's perfect, it's sure, it's right, it's pure, it's clean, it's true. It's just highlighting the perfection of God's word. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. What a benefit. And what a progression, an appropriate progression of benefits that David details from it giving us life to us gaining wisdom from it and life and wisdom producing joy within us. We can run after life and joy in so many other places, but David says his word is the place life and joy are found. We need to be awakened to the glory of God revealed in creation. But even more, we need to have our souls revived, to be made wise, to have our hearts rejoice and our eyes enlightened. These things are products of encountering God in his word. He speaks through nature, but he speaks most clearly and directly through his word. David doesn't want there to be any confusion about the role and value of Scripture in our lives. So after he highlights its perfection six times, he culminates with, it is more to be desired than gold, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. David wants us to be clear that the word of God is more valuable, more to be desired than the treasures of this world. That's what gold stands in for. Anything that you can imagine that can enrich your life, provide you with the things you want. Oh, God's word is more valuable than that. More valuable than the treasures that you can accumulate. Even the best stuff, the best gold, and lots of it, he's saying, oh, this is still more valuable. To know him and his word is greater. And it's a better gift than the pleasures of this world. As we talk about that experience of the sweetness of the honey, drippings of the honeycomb, and just think the world that they're living in, 
You just don't have many things ready-made like that just for enjoyment and pleasure. And David's saying, even these things, all these pleasures that are so good and easy to access, that, that doesn't compare to the sweetness, the pleasure, the value that God's word provides for us. Greater than gold, sweeter than honey. There's nothing that compares with the value and benefit of his word. Nothing we can read, nothing we can watch or listen to compares with the revelation of God in his word. Your Netflix queue doesn't hold a candle to what God reveals about himself in his word. So a simple question for us this morning, do we value God's word like the psalmist does? And what I find a very sobering and convicting reality is the fact that David only had a portion of the scripture that we have. We have a clearer picture of God's grace and salvation than he knew. He had the promise of you know, one that would come in his line. But we see the testimony of Jesus. We know of the resurrection. We know of the grace that is available to us. Not by our own merits, but by his mercy and kindness. So, is it life to us? Is this what we feed on? Is this the, the food that nourishes our souls? Do we spend enough time in his word to be familiar with his voice as he speaks? Are we in it regularly enough for it to be a legitimate source of nourishment for our souls? Or are we more in danger of starving spiritually? Do you listen to creation's voice as it declares God's glory? Passages like this, like Psalm 121, I lift my eyes up to the hills, from where does my help come? Uh, they're helping reset, recalibrate my view of what's around me, the tools that God wants to use to get my attention and remind me of who he is. When was the last time you found yourself in wonder over God's handiwork? I, I think there was one that was probably shared by many of us just about a year ago, observing the total eclipse. As we were in this area of totality, just seeing, wow, how amazing this was. Uh, not seen anything like it. And th th there's a wonder that comes from experiencing something like that, but, but let's just be real clear, the eclipse schedule isn't frequent enough to fuel our worship of God. We need to make sure we're taking in other ways, looking for his glory that's available day by day, night by night, all around us. The reality is, it's very possible to allow competing voices 
false promises, other glories to crowd out what God is declaring to us in the world that he has made. And even more, the way that he clearly speaks to us through his word. It's easy to get distracted by other things, place our affection in other places. So do competing messengers drown out what the heavens are declaring Counterfeit messages replace our hunger for his life-giving word. Do we spend enough time meditating on what he has revealed to us through his word that we can connect his good news to the specific areas of need in our lives? We need to do a little soul searching and ask the question that, that when we feel he is silent, when we see the testimony of the ways that he is speaking to us, could it be we have to ask at least that when we're experiencing a lack of perspective or awareness of God's readiness to speak or to help, could that come not from a reluctance on his part? but on distraction, listening to other voices, or seeking cheap imitations, things that don't hold the nourishment and the value his word does. Could it be that some of that silence is due to our own hearts, and our waywardness, and our seeking after other things? How often do we trade the glory of God seen in his creation or the grace of God revealed through his word for the convenience of a, a ready-made distraction? God reveals himself to the world he has made. He reveals himself through the word that is before us and he also makes himself known through his work within us. One of the realities of encountering God in nature and especially in his word is that we gain a more accurate perspective, not only of God, but of ourselves. When we see the glorious God revealed in nature, we rightly are humbled. When we come face to face with the holy God of scripture, we recognize our own sin, our own weakness, our own inadequacy. See, having our self-assessment recalibrated by the God who made himself known to us makes us aware of our need for his work in our lives. And David really leads us in that reality when he gets to this last portion, these last verses. He says, who can discern his errors He's talking about the trouble even of knowing his own heart. Uh, what he is aware that the more he knows God, the more he's aware of his weakness, of his need for God. He says, declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then, then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. As someone familiar with God's glory and creation and in love 
with God's perfect, life-giving word, David was acquainted with the weakness of his own heart, the waywardness of his own heart. He was aware that he himself did not have the best read on even his own soul. Declaring, who, who can discern his errors, his own weaknesses? Pleading with God, declare me innocent from hidden faults. He, he knew that there were things Ways that he was not living the way he was supposed to, thinking the way he was supposed to. And he's aware on many of these, I don't even know how weak and far short I fall. So declare me innocent from these things. He, he, he knew that just because they were hidden from his view didn't mean they were insignificant. Might have just meant that he was so familiar with them that he was blind to them. And in the presence of so great a God, even his unseen sins were alarming to him. So he continued with, keep me also from presumptuous sins. Those that I would knowingly and willfully commit. That's what presumptuous sins mean. The ones I do know, yeah, that's wrong, and yet I still go forward. I need to be cleansed from those as well. It's not just the ones I'm not aware of. But I'm also aware I'm weak in my ability to keep from doing the things I know I'm not supposed to do. I need your help there too, God. Keep me from those and don't let them master me. In other words, don't let me give in, God. But also don't let me give up. He didn't trust himself or his own strength to keep him out of trouble with known sins or those that he was blind to. He says, only with your help, God, can I be blameless and innocent of great transgression. It wasn't that he was saying, I've never done great transgressions. We know his story. But he's crying out for God's help that he could be innocent of great transgression and I think this might be really helpful particularly to those here who tend towards introspection self-evaluation not, not everyone is wired the same way and struggles in the same way but for those given to introspection in particular it often comes with a desire to be seen as perfect we're trying to root these things out on our own we're trying to do the work that is required to present ourselves acceptable but it also often is accompanied by a great awareness of our own imperfection. Often produces discouragement, sometimes despair. We know from other Psalms that David is someone who dealt regularly with discouragement. Who faced his own sin. He was someone that struggled from his own words, a cast-down soul. And I think it's really instructive how he deals with his own shortcomings here. Both those that are known and those that are hidden. He says, declare me innocent. Declare me innocent. Then I shall be blameless and innocent 
of great transgressions. David is aware that salvation is found in appealing to the God of mercy and grace, not his own ability to root out every hidden sin. That's not where his hope lay. David is not asking God here to be a liar, just to be real clear. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, God, just just say that I am. No. He isn't asking him to declare something that isn't true, but he knows that his ability to be declared innocent and blameless does not come from within himself. It has to come from God. He can't root out his sin on his own. He can't make himself clean and pure. He can only be declared righteous by the grace of the God who has revealed himself in his word. And the final words of the psalm really point to David's ultimate hope. Let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your, in your sight. Oh, Lord, Yahweh, my rock and my redeemer. He ends by calling out directly to Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God. He is his rock and his redeemer, his rescuer, his savior. Because Yahweh saves, David can be declared innocent. It's the only way. David is aware of his own transgressions, and he's aware he's not even aware of all that there is. I can't do this on my own, God. I need you. My salvation has to come from someplace other than within me. I am not capable, but I have Yahweh. I have the covenant-keeping God. The Redeemer, the one that says he will rescue, not based on what I've done, but on who he is. Now, he didn't see the ultimate way that he would be delivered. He just knew of the promise. We have seen the glory of God, not only in the heavens, but in the one who made the heavens, stretching out his arms and hanging upon a tree for you and for me. Revealing his grace once for all. That salvation comes not from within us, but in the one who hung, paid the penalty for our sins for us, so that we could experience freedom from him. Because Yahweh cleanses. David knows he can draw near. And the words of his mouth and the meditations of his heart can be acceptable in God's sight. Because Yahweh sent Jesus to take away the penalty for our hidden faults and our presumptuous sins, we are innocent of great transgressions. Because Jesus was acceptable in God's sight and then gave us his righteousness, we are blameless. And the word blameless in verse 13 is actually the same word 
used in verse 7, where David is describing God's word. It's translated there as the law of the Lord is perfect. It's the same word. In other words, we are declared to have the same blamelessness, same complete, perfect character as God's word itself. Let that sink in. That's never going to come from within you. That's never going to come from within me. That can only come by the gift of a gracious, covenant-keeping, redeeming God. The great news, folks, is that it has come. What David looked forward to, we have seen the reality of. His word has proclaimed and revealed his great grace for us. Because Yahweh, the Redeemer, is our God. The words of our mouths, the meditations of our hearts, they're acceptable in his sight. What an amazing God. What a gracious Redeemer. So friends, let us draw near to God. For He makes Himself known. Through His Word, that is before us, through the world that is around us, and through His work within us. Let's pray together. If the band could come.